Um, so let's just get after this. I want to talk to you about, this is the sermon title for today. I is for intimacy. Okay? Write that down. I is for intimacy. And now some of you are going, oh, no. We didn't come here for a sex talk. We got our kids in here with us. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. See? You already think intimacy only means sex, okay? And that's not, I don't want to talk to you. Next week, maybe it'll be a little more PG-13, but today it's not. It's just PG straight up. It's all good, okay? I don't want to talk about your relationships with each other. I want to talk about your relationship and your intimacy with God, okay? That's what I want to talk to you about today because that is important to you, okay? It just so happened that last weekend I wasn't here. Pastor Janice was speaking, and it, um, I was at uh, the uh, Vineyard USA Southeast Region Men's Retreat in Gatlinburg. Oh, yay, I went to Gatlinburg. Um, and so I love Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg's a wonderful place. Please go to Tennessee and visit them. I don't want letters from the, you know, the Visitation Bureau or Tourist Bureau. Um, but anyway, went to Gatlinburg, and we had a wonderful time with 100, 110 men that were down there from all over the five-state region of the Southeast region of the Vineyard USA. And the guy there uh, walked in and he said, hey, I want to talk to you guys about intimacy. And everybody did the same thing. Oh, great. Here comes the sex talk. We're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about it. It's like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about your intimate relationship with God. And then everybody sat back up and said, okay, let's talk about that. Let's do that. And so that uh, is what I'm doing. I took my sermon and set it aside because while he was talking, I wrote a whole other sermon other than what he was saying. But his concept, his idea captured my heart. As I was sitting there going, God, I'm not in Richmond. Would you please just walk in here and sit down next to me so that we can have an intimate conversation? I want you. And so intimacy, I looked it up. It means this, close familiarity or friendship, closeness. That's the actual definition of it right there. Now, if you're going to use it, you would say the intimacy between a husband and a wife, which certainly would encourage, I mean, include sex. But then you would say, hey, the room had a, a peaceful sense of intimacy about it. See, it's cozy. And that's what we're doing in here. We try to set up this room. You're in here and you think, the lights are down. They're just trying to put on a show. We're not trying to put on a show. We're trying to create an, an intimate environment where you don't look around and see what everybody else is doing to see if you're doing it right. You can just have a relationship with God while you're singing, while you're worshiping, or while you're interacting with this message. Okay? That's actually why. Everything is done intentional around here, even when it looks casual. It really is. Okay, And so we see the room had a peaceful sense of intimacy about it. Or it might say uh, an intimate act, which again takes you back to sexual intercourse. So we understand the word intimate. For whatever reason, we always think sexual, and that's not always the way it is. It's that closeness that I want to talk about. And that closeness is found in creation and is expressed in Genesis um, from the creation of Adam and Eve. So we're going to just go there to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 26. It's going to show up up there, but honestly, you can always open up one of these things. But let's just have a little prayer real quick, and let's jump into the Word of God. Father, as we come before you, we do recognize that you canonized this scripture. We recognize that you set it down so that all of those who have not seen yet who do believe can be blessed. And we're here, God, and we know that this word is living and active. And so we pray that you would just like go right into our soul and divide our joints and our marrow. God, we pray that it would convict us and heal us and encourage us and inspire us and you would open it up to us. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, come. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, um, Genesis chapter 1, whoops, let me go there instead of being in Exodus 33, because that's where we're going to go next. But in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us. And if you're using a paper Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word us, because there's an us going on in heaven. God is an us. Elohim is a plural word for the Godhead. 
okay? He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule them, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, God created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I want to jump down to Genesis chapter 2, picking up the creation story of Adam and Eve once again. And I want to say, in verse 7 of chapter 2, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life. Yeah, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And so what we have here is the creation of Adam. The creation of Adam and Eve comes out of that. It keeps on going. But here's the picture of the intimacy. God says, let us create man in our image. We're talking about the Godhead, and there's an intimate relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, as my grandchildren come up to me and say, so where did God come from? I can't answer that question. For you and I on this earth, God was, God always was, God is, God always will be. And that's as much as we can comprehend of God, believe it or not. That pretty much sums it up. But God said, let us create man in our image. And so in um, his image, we have been created. And I love that it goes on from there. And it says that he created the man from the dust and he scooped him up and, he, and, he, uh, and you know, he's doing things. And so um, I, I don't know if you've ever gone down to the, to the creek bottom and, and scooped out some clay and played with it and, and made some little things. Or maybe if you were a kid and your mom or dad got you some modeling clay because they, said they saw some artistic bent in you and you, know, you made some you know, little clay figures and you're like, you make little people and you're like, this is my mom this is my dad, this is my little sister, and then you squash that one because, you know, you've got some repressed anxieties and frustrations in your family that you haven't dealt with yet, and you need to see a therapist, okay? Smart people get help, okay? I'm just telling you, smart people get help. Okay, but anyway, anyway, imagine that you did that, and you made this little thing out of clay, and then you laid it down, and you're holding this little clay people that you made, this little clay G.I. Joe or whatever, and then you just breathe into it, little CPR, you breathe your breath into it, and it sits up and says, Dad! I mean, that's a whole lot different than the way our kids came into this world. A whole lot different. However, that was sincerely an intimate relationship with God. You can't breathe the breath of life into a being without it being an intimate thing. It's just that intimate. So from the beginning, intimacy was a thing in, that's, that's knit into our creation. When God created Adam, it was intimate. And it didn't stop there because then when it's time to create Eve, he splits Adam open. Hey, he split an atom. He was the first one to split an atom. Holy cow, that is, you know, sometimes things just go through your head while you're preaching and you, you think, don't say that out loud. But that one, that was kind of worth it. So God split an atom, you know, and by splitting that atom, he created another human being. And if you take a rib out and you put it into another human being, does it get more intimate than that? That's intimate. I have a friend who, who uh, gave up a kidney to a brother-in-law. And that relationship with him and his brother-in-law is intimate now. They share body parts. That's intimate. You and I were created for an intimate relationship with God and healthy, moral, intimate relationships with each other. 
We were, and I want to talk about that just a little bit. All right? So breathing life into Adam, that's, that, that's pretty intimate right there. But it's also the expression, I just wanted to lay the groundwork for the intimacy that we have with God as human beings, as created beings. It's also a picture of the intimacy that Moses had with God. And it's Moses that came to my heart and to my mind while I was sitting in the men's meeting. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about Moses just a little tiny bit. Just a little tiny bit. Moses is um, the Hebrew child who was put in the basket. He was supposed to be killed by the midwives, but the midwives wouldn't do it. And I'm giving you the nutshell version, okay? I don't know if you've seen the version with, you know, Charlton Heston from, you know, where they first started coloring movies and things like that. Or if you, you know, watch the Prince of Egypt or something like that online, I don't know. But, um, you know, it, it's the picture of Moses and, and it's worth reading. And so, you know, he's not supposed to stay alive. So his mom puts him in a basket, sends him down the Nile and sends him right into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. He gets raised in the Pharaoh's palace, but he still knows who he is. Is, and when the long and the short of it is, he runs away from Pharaoh, and then uh, he goes away, and that Pharaoh dies, and his son gets raised up, and then God calls Moses back, and he goes, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people free. Okay, and so we have that, that, that picture, and so that's what happens, okay? And so Moses is gone, and he's told Pharaoh, let my people free. Okay, and Moses, uh, Pharaoh eventually says, okay, and he lets his people free, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're going in the wilderness, and God tells um, um, Moses to come up on Mount Sinai, and he wants him to come up on Mount Sinai, because he's got some things. He wants to give him a couple of tablets. He wants to give him the Ten Commandments. He said, I want you to come up here. He said, while you're up here, I don't want anybody coming near this mountain. If so much as livestock touches this mountain, you are to kill it dead. So that's what's going to happen. So Moses is leading 1.6 million people, it's estimated, out into the wilderness. They're all out there in the wilderness. They've seen God do some amazing things to Pharaoh, and, and they're out there. And so while they're there, Moses is going to go up the mountain. They're getting ready to go into the promised land if they'll just do what God says. We haven't had a problem yet, um, but, but God is saying, hey, I want to take you into the promised land. I want to give you a gift of the promised land, okay? They were not called to dominate the promised land. They were literally called to just receive it and walk into it. And I'm going to show that to you here in a second. So this is a relationship with God and Moses in Exodus chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place. They're out in the wilderness. He goes, now, I want you to leave the place that you're at, Moses, and you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and I want you to go to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this to your descendants. Look what he says here. Listen to me. This is the word of God, okay? I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. See, that's how God was going to do it. They weren't supposed to fight them. God said, I am literally going to send angels to drive those peoples, those tribes out of the land out of their houses, out of their fields, out of their vineyards, out of everything. I'm going to move them for you. You don't have to fight them. That's what God said right there. I didn't make this up, okay? And so we see this picture. You are to do this, okay? And then he goes on to say, um, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But this is what he says because they've been grumbling against him in the wilderness. The children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were grumbling against God. And he said, but I'm not going with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. I might just kill you all dead just because I'm sick of you. That's about, that would be a loose translation, but it's about what it says, okay? 
Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with... Oh, yeah, hold on. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and nobody put on any ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are, you are a stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off all your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Okay? So they came out of um, Egypt filthy rich. They were slaves. But they told their neighbors, if you pay us, we'll leave. Don't take my word for it. It's in the scripture. Give us your gold. Give us your silver. Give us your bronze. Give us your fancy robes. Give us your sheep. Give us your camels. Give us your donkeys. Give us it all, and we'll get out of here. And they paid them because all of the firstborn sons had been killed, and they watched it happen, and they wanted these Israelites out of Egypt. And so they were filthy rich, and they were wearing the ornaments of Egypt. They were wearing the robes of Egypt. And God is saying, okay, now that I've got you out of here, and everybody's grumbling, saying, when's God going to send us food? We're sick and tired of this. Who said Moses could be in charge? And God said, I'm getting real tired of these people. You go up and get what I promised you so that my promise is sure, because Easter is a promise. That's going to come back on Easter Sunday morning. Easter is a promise. He said, I'm going to give you the land like a promise, but I'm not going with you. It's not going to happen because I'll kill these people, Moses. Wow. That's intimate conversation between Moses and God, okay? But then it goes on to say um, that uh, it goes through this thing, and uh, um, the, the writer of the book of uh, Exodus tells us that, you know, there just happened to be this thing where, you know, the, um, whenever God wanted to speak to Moses, he would go to the tent of meeting, and all the people would go to their tents and stand in front of their doors of their tents, and then the voice would speak, and then they would cover their ears, and then they would say, Moses, what did God say? And so the, the scripture tells us that, and then it comes down to verse 14, and the Lord says to Moses, my presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. Well, I, I, I skipped that part that I wanted in it. There we go. Stay there where you are, okay? When the people heard these distressing words, i got to make sure I'm doing this right. Well, I can. I'm going to Exodus 33. The Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, this is what I want to hang on, then don't send us up from here. God, if you're not going with us, we don't want to go anywhere. We're, not, we're going to die right here in the desert. Is that our intimate relationship with God? And Moses goes on to say, "What else will distinguish me and um, um, excuse me? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people of all the face of the earth?" And the Lord said to Moses, "I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you." So he's going to go with him, and he says, "Moses, I know your name." And Moses says, "All right, you know my name. All right, then show me your glory, God. You know my name. Okay, okay, show me your glory." And then the scripture will go on to tell us that, excuse me, that God says to him that he's going to take him and he's going to put him in his um, cleft of a rock because God can't show him his face. And so he's going to get to see him from the backside. Um, and that's how it's all going to work. And the Lord comes along and he says, the Lord, the Lord, and, and you know, infinite wisdom. And he says all the things that are, his name is like that long, really. And so it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But there's the deal. The fact of the matter is, that God says this is what's going, to ham what's going to happen because Moses longed for the presence of God. He didn't want the, the, the pillar of fire. Moses didn't want the pillar of smoke. Okay, He didn't want the great voice echoing off the mountain. What he wanted was time with God. He wanted God to come sit down and just have an intimate conversation with him. He was crying out saying, God, I want to be in your presence where you are. 
And God said, okay, I'll honor that. Come with me. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to do this thing, and this is how it's going to be. Intimacy with God. See, Moses had been up that mountain for 40 days. And while he was up that mountain, God took his own finger and wrote on the tablets the Ten Commandments, which are the core of the 630 commandments of, of the Jewish law. And when Moses came down the mountain, everybody had got distracted because Moses had been up there so long, they thought maybe he's died and maybe he's not coming down. And they got scared and they were like, you don't understand. They didn't have an intimate relationship with God. They had an intimate relationship with Aaron and with Moses. And so they were very frustrated. And Moses was gone for a month and 10 days. He was gone. And is he coming back? Did he die up there? Are we going to starve to death? Who's going to lead us to the promised land? Does anybody else know the way? And I believe that their fear was rising, and so they went and did the only thing that they knew how to do, and that was to try to worship to the gods of the land, little g, to the gods of the land. And so they, brought, uh, they, they went and they stood against Aaron. They said, Aaron, you brought us out here. Listen, you got to make us some gods that we can worship because we're going to die out here. I fully believe that that's what's going on. And Aaron said, fine, bring me all of your gold. Bring me some gold. And he fashions this golden calf for them, and they're dancing around this golden calf when Moses finally comes down the mountain after 40 days with the tablets that the Lord God had given him. And when he sees that, he throws them down and shatters them. God wasn't really happy about that. Moses wasn't really happy with the children of Israel. They weren't really happy with God and Moses, and they were looking at the gods of Egypt, saying, maybe they'll save us. So they fashioned this calf. And this calf ends up getting ground up and put in the water, and people have to drink it. Thousands of people die. Thousands of people die. All they had to do was to trust God and wait on Moses. But we just aren't a people who can wait, are we? Even when we've got an intimate relationship with God, we're just not a people that do well waiting. We don't like it. Moses was gone too long. And so there's a lesson to be learned here. <clears throat> Aaron said that he uh, wanted them to bring the gold. All he had to do was stand up and say, no, wait. But Aaron was afraid of the people. And so he fashioned them a calf. And there's a lesson to be learned here about leadership. What Aaron expressed was really bad leadership. You don't cave into the whining and the crying when you know the mission is that way. You invite people to come, and if they don't want to, you don't throw rocks at them. But Aaron knew the mission, and for Aaron it was to help the people be at peace while Moses was talking to God. And instead, Aaron caved to the culture around him because he was scared. The gods of this earth, which are nothing more than the prince of the power of the air, the devil and his, his unholy angels, the, the demons, they want to steal from you. They want to steal from you. They want to steal your life, your joy, your peace. They want to steal from you. Okay, But check this out. They will steal and they will rob you and then they will straight up lie to you, but the goal of the enemy is always to kill you 
to destroy you, to see that you do not get into heaven. The enemy is a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that word means to destroy, to obliterate, to make no more. He is not seeking whom he may wound. He is not seeking whom he may make sad. He's not seeking whom he may steal happiness from. He is not seeking whom he may um, make depressed. He is not seeking whom he can get high. He is looking to destroy and kill kill forever. However, in the end, God has already beat him. And the scripture tells us very, very clearly that hell and the devil, this is scriptural, will be bound in a chain and the two of them together, the scripture says, will be thrown into the lake of fire. So hell and the lake of fire are two very real geographic locations that the devil is going to end up in. Hell was created for the devil, the scripture will tell us. And so we've got to recognize that those are not metaphors for going through a hard time on this earth, a difficult situation, a struggle. It's very real. And there's no scripture that I have found that points to it as a metaphor. So we recognize that our intimacy with God is critically important to our lives here on this planet. We were formed in intimacy, for intimacy, and God still works that way today. That's what he does. How does that happen? I was thinking about the things that the guy was saying when I was down at that conference. And one of the things that he got me thinking down this road was this. Everything else came out of my head, but this is what he said, and I wrote this down. We cannot be intimate with anybody that we do not trust. You cannot actually be intimate with anybody that you do not trust. I'm talking about being intimate. I'm not talking about having sex. I'm talking about actually being intimate. Because you won't let yourself open. So it's not going to happen because you don't know if it's safe. And so the whole thing kind of is a, is a daisy chain that chases itself down. Trust, therefore, becomes the basis, the foundation of intimacy. In Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge your trust in God, and He will make your way straight. Not that He will make your way easy. Not that He will take away the hurdles or the potholes or anything else. He will walk with you and find a way if you will follow Him and make it easy. And I don't doubt that there are some of you in here going, well, Pastor Joe, that's not been my experience. You know, I gave my life to the Lord, and it's been tough ever since. And, you know, I said this when I was in seventh grade, and I'm just telling you right now, I've been through some bad situations. I really would challenge you and would love for you to sit down in my office and tell me, did you make your, your decisions based upon a right understanding of Scripture, or are you receiving the consequences of bad decisions, and now you're shaking your fist at God saying, save me from this bad decision, and you wonder why he's letting you go through the consequence of a bad decision. Let me give you just a, a simple for instance. Your whole family told you not to marry that guy. And you said, I know better than everybody. Did you pray about marrying that guy? No. You were in love. He cared. And then came what we call the next morning. And I don't say that lightly, but we've got to stop shaking our fist at God and blaming Him for ending up in circumstances that we set up 
when he was trying to make our path straight. Not easy, not perfect, not without a struggle. But we're still in a position to take what we've been through and put it in his hands and watch what he does with it. Because my God is the God of 497, 490 second chances. Over and over and over again, he is a God who is long-suffering with us. But we've got to be willing to trust him and do things his way. There is something about being close to somebody, okay? It demands trust, which invites intimacy. Husband and wife's intimacy, I believe, and I, I mean, I wrestle with this. I believe that intimacy is regulated by trust, believe it or not. The ability to believe that you are there for each other and that, you, that my partner is a safe place for me regulates the ability for us to be intimate together. Can I be safe? Can I be honest? Can I be the things? See? And it's there. The scripture says, the, the man said in Genesis chapter 2, the man said, it's not going to show up on a screen. Um, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Look at this, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. I believe that that is a significant problem in our culture today, is the idea of leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. Okay, we're getting it backwards, we're getting it in the wrong order. But more than that, we don't always want to do the leaving cleaving. I can't tell you how many times in, in 30 years of ministry coming up in this September, um, I've heard people say, no, blood is thicker, you know, it's more important than anything else. It's, no, it's, it's honestly not. A blood, thick blood will coagulate and choke up your arteries anyway and kill you dead. Okay, but I'm just saying, and some of you are like, yeah, that's my family right there. Okay, I, I, I know, I know, we've all been there. I know, we've all been there. But what I'm saying is this, God takes your covenant more seriously than your blood. He puts you in the family you chose to make a covenant, an intimate covenant. Uh, listen, if you've missed the mark, I am not here to beat you up. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand me? None. Okay? That's the ideal that we're to shoot for. Keep shooting for it. If you miss it, get back up and make that the ideal that you shoot for. But we've got to get to that place where we recognize that this is what God said. And we've got to do the leaving and cleaving part. Because that leaving and cleaving part is what, I mean, we're coming up on 40 years this year. And that's the thing that makes us be us against the world. Not that we hate the world, not that we hate our families, but it's us. No matter what, it's us. And family, extended family gets pushed to the side. It's always my spouse first. It's always Janice first. Even with my kids, it's Janice first. And when my kids say, how come you do that for mom, but you don't do it for us? I look them in the eye and I say, because I love mom more than you. And I get that. And I say, you're going to leave me and run off with some guy sometime. You're going to leave me and pick your own wife sometime. And I'm going to be left here with your mom. So I'm pouring into that relationship and she's more important to me than you are because I'm about to become less important to you than that Jimmy Joe Bob in seventh grade. You aren't even going to marry him. He's just somehow going to be smarter than me for a couple of weeks. Punch that kid right in now. You know, leave my little girl alone. 
that covenant is supposed to be an intimate covenant that's you against everything except God. Regardless of where you've come from and where you are, stop right now and come to a biblical understanding that no matter what, you pour into that thing. You invest in that covenant, that intimate relationship, because you've got to be willing to be honest, and home has got to be the safest place for you to be ever. I've never understood guys that got to stop off somewhere before, whether it's a bar or whatever else, before they go home. I can't comprehend that. I could never wait to get home and tell my wife what happened today at work and to hear what happened with the kids and see what I missed out on. I, I just couldn't. And when people invited me, it's just like, no, I'm not interested. All right, number two, you cannot trust people we are not honest with. See? First, we can't be intimate with somebody that we don't trust, and you're not going to trust anybody that you can't be honest with. As a Christian person, your word should be your bond. I'm not saying you don't make a promise sometime and you screw up and you've got to deal with it. We've all been there. I'm just talking about straight-up lying. If your spouse has to lie to you, your spouse is afraid of you. Why did you make your spouse afraid of you? If your friend has to lie to you, why does your friend have to lie to you? Does your friend feel like you will chuck them if they're honest with you? See, this needs to be a place where people can come in and be honest and real because we're all broken and hurting. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, don't swear by your head, you can't make one hair white or black. All you need to do is say yes or no. There you go. You don't have to swear, but your yes needs to be a yes. If you say you'll sign up for it, then you need to show up for it. If you say you'll do it, then you need to do it. It doesn't need to be that stupid meme that says, listen, my wife told me to empty the trash, and I told her, you know, I'll get around to it. You don't have to nag me every six months. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. If you said yes, then yes. If you said you'd be there, then be there. Okay? Because your yes is yes. The book of Exodus chapter 20 says straight up on those tablets that Moses brought down the mountain, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Don't do it. Don't lie about the people around you. Don't do it. Okay? Being able to be truthful with yourself and to receive truth from people around you, friends, that's where trust is born. See? And I want to encourage you in that. Last thing I want to share with you is this. We cannot be honest if we're living in fear. You can't. That's why I tapped on it just a little bit there. You can't be honest if you're living in fear. Specifically, you can't be honest if you're living in fear of men. And that's what Aaron showed us. Aaron showed us that in his leadership package, he was living in fear of the people around him, what they would do to him, 1.6 million people. And Moses, where are you at? You're up the mountain. You left me babysitting all these people. And this is stinking brother. I'm, I'm going to wear him out when he comes down here. I promise you that. And, and, and there he is. There's, there's Aaron. What's he going to do? Well, better fashion the calf. Better do what these people want. Listen, that's not the culture we're supposed to be living in. We are supposed to be telling the culture, not with a rock, not with a ball bat, not with a hammer, but with an invitation to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be telling them, no, that won't work. That's going to break your heart. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to send you down a, the toilet that you don't want to go to. Please do not stick that in your arm. Do not snort it up your nose. Do not steal it. Do not take it. Do not do it. Do not identify with it. Do not realign with it. Don't do it. But it's because God wants what's best for them, not that we need to be throwing rocks at anybody. We've got to not live in fear of people. Aaron 
listened to the people and thousands of people died because the leader at that time was afraid of the culture around him. Thousands of people died, okay? Move forward to King Saul. King Saul ignored Samuel and the Holy Spirit left him and things did not go well for Israel. What voice are you listening to? We serve a God who wants to be intimate with you. We serve a God that cares every day about you having quiet time, slowing things down. You know, there are times in my life when I realize that we as a culture are moving way too fast. And, we, and it's, it's come to the place where we're moving so fast that that's the norm. We actually had a person hired here that was working for us, um, the church, that just sat Pastor Janice and I down one time and just said, um, you know, he's, he's like 15 years younger than us. He's like, dude, he said, I, I don't know what the deal is. I cannot keep up with you too. And I looked at her and it's like, can't keep up with us, man. He's like 15 years younger than me. He's got two good hips. He doesn't need surgery. It's like, what the heck? And they're just like, you're always on the go. You're always in somebody's lives. You're always taking the phone call. You're always doing this. And it's like, we are moving so fast, we don't even think about it. And so there's times in my lives where I'm out on the highway. Oh, no, not another out on the highway thing. No, please, yes. Okay, I'm out on the highway, and I intentionally put my signal on and go all the way to the right lane, and I literally will set the cruise at 70. And I will just go 70 miles an hour because it's like, God, the radio's off and I need to slow down. I don't need to be distracted. But I have got to be so intentional about slowing down. And I'm just using that to tell you that in your own life, you don't even know it, that you're moving so fast trying to be involved in everything, chase down everything possible, and you don't realize that God just wants you to sit in the cleft of the rock so He can tell you His name. And answer your prayer. And just abide with you. You want him to come and sit down in the seat, but your seat's moving at 85 miles an hour in the left lane. And God's saying, slow down so we can talk. Stop saying yes to every single thing. I was thinking about this and writing this in my head and on my phone when the Lord came into my heart and he wanted me to ask you this question because you, you don't know it, but it's, it's been a bit of a tough go here at the church. I'm not, I'm not talking about for me personally, you know, just the fact that I want to help everybody and fix everybody and that's my sickness. But um, here's the deal. It's been a tough go. Some of your marriages are under attack. Some of your lives are under attack. Some of you are being assailed by the devil himself because you're trying to get close to God. And I promise you, if you try to get close to God, he's coming after you because he doesn't want you to. He wants you to believe the voice of culture. Buy into it and reject God. Go ahead. But let me ask you a question. What would you do if you were the pastor? What would you tell the drug addict that comes in and sits down in your office? What would you, what would you tell him? What hope would you give the drug addict? What would you tell the divorced man what would you tell the couple living together? What would you tell the thief? What would you tell the liar? What would you tell the adulterer? What would you tell the greedy person or the person that wants to commit suicide? What would you tell them about grace and intimacy, love for God, forgiveness and mercy? What, what would you tell them? 
What's your understanding of what to tell somebody like that? What would you tell them? In your, in your head, play it out. What would you tell them? Why won't you tell yourself that? Why is it okay to tell everybody else to get back up, that God loves you, that his mercy is there for you, but you won't tell yourself that? You're so hard on yourself. You think somehow you've got to be the perfect dad. You think somehow you've got to be the perfect mom, the perfect spouse. You think somehow you have to be the perfect employee. You think somehow you have got to be absolutely without sin before God would ever let you do anything or call you into anything. You think that because you've got something in your background that God can't do this and you're so hard. But if somebody were to come into your office, you're like, but God loves you so much. Why can't you give you the same grace that you give them? Because God wants an intimate relationship with you. And he knows the screw-ups you made. Check this out. God is in this room and he wants to put his arms around you. And he knows what you're going to do and say tomorrow. And you don't. <laughs> and he still wants to put his arms around you. Because he loves you. He's not kicking you when you're down. He's encouraging you to get back up. The invitation is a constant transformation through love and intimacy with God. Because the scripture tells us in John 3.17 that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he also didn't send him in the world to condone sin, but rather to die for it. Because he loves you. And I want you to know that God wants an intimate relationship with you. Desperately wants an intimate relationship. He doesn't want a relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you're not going to heaven unless you're doing the will of my Father in heaven. And the only way you know what that is is to be in a relationship with him so that when he says, hey, go say this to that person or go help that person or step up and, and sell this and give it to that person, that, that you hear it and you have an opportunity because he wants to change your life because he wants the very thing that you want, a Parisos life, an amazing life but he's waiting on you to follow him. I don't know if you have a personal relationship with Jesus that's intimate. I don't. You do. But I can tell you right now, this morning he wants to touch your life. He literally wants to do, the love of God is here to do something in your life. Not just have you go to church. And these people want to pray for you and there's more besides that will come up here. And so we're going to go into this song. And I just don't want you to go home without you coming up here and saying, God, I want that intimacy. I want to say like Moses did, God, we're not going from here if you don't go. And God, if we're going, then I want to know your name. And ask God to put you in that cleft of the rock and give you that shot. Give you that chance. But to find that obedience in you. Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we thank you for this picture of intimacy. We thank you that it demands trust. Thank you, God, that we're not born and given a spirit of fear, but love and power and a strong mind. But God, sometimes we find it easy to fall back into being afraid of somebody not loving us or thinking we're gross or being repulsed by us or whatever it might be. And so we're here today, God, because we want to be touched by you. And Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I know you're here. And I pray that you touch my life.
Touch my life, God. Fill me up and enter, uh, let me enter into that intimacy that calls me forward to bring the kingdom of God, that calls me to do the thing you've called me to. Father, I pray for the marriages here. I pray for the brokenness here. I pray for the, the sexual struggles that are here. I pray for the gender struggles that are here. I pray that people can receive your love that resets our souls to Adam and Eve when they just had to walk in the garden with you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come up to our feet. As we begin singing this song, these people are up here because they want to pray with you. And, and you don't have to say anything except, hey, I want my fair share. That's all you've got to say. I want my share of intimacy with God. And they just want to pray with you today.